every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Leela Shernivasan, CMO of SurveyMonkey. Leela joined SurveyMonkey in April 2018 to lead all marketing functions, including brand strategy, growth marketing, product marketing, and communications. Previously, she served as CMO at Lever, Vice President of Marketing at OpenTable, and Director of Marketing at LinkedIn. On this episode, Leela dives deep into the key components of her strategy, including how to truly understand and add value to your prospects, put your customers at the forefront of your marketing, optimize your channels and tactics, build community, and much more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview between Leela Srinivasan, CMO of SurveyMonkey, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and host of Demand Gen Visionaries. And I am joined by special guest, Leela. How are you? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's going to be super fun to chat with you. We've done a few podcast episodes in the past together. I'm always endlessly fascinated about how you think about marketing and uh, excited to chat with you about Demand Gen. So what was your first job in Demand Gen? Well, uh, gosh, it depends how you define Demand Gen, but I suppose the first job where I was generating demand for something was actually my very first job in the States back in Jacksonville, Florida. I worked for a consumer product company and uh, was involved in, but I mean, this is back in the late 90s. And the way we were moving product off shelves was actually a sort of early influencer marketing with uh, radio personalities. So we were writing radio commercials and then they would we would ship them product and then they'd talk about the product on air and then we would promptly sell out in that market. It was It was insane. So different sort of demand gen, I guess. Demand gen, sort of conventionally on the sort of B2B side, my first crack at that was at LinkedIn, actually, where I oversaw North American demand gen for a while. And then I suppose I should point out that between those two stints, a lot of things happened, one of which was I spent five and a half years in sales. So a uh, different part of the funnel, of course, but very close to the sales cycle and you know what it takes to uh, get something from lead to, uh, to a win. I think probably every single one of our listeners knows about SurveyMonkey, but tell us a little bit about your role as CMO of SurveyMonkey. Well, so every listener hopefully knows of SurveyMonkey. The question is whether you know what SurveyMonkey truly is in 2021. True. Yeah, good point. That was one of the things that drew me to the company almost three years ago was just how much was going on behind the scenes at SurveyMonkey and how the company was evolving. So our mission is to power the curious. Uh, We enable organizations to turn feedback into action. We've actually got different areas that people may not be aware of. So you're probably all familiar with the surveys business, which has been our mainstay. But we're building really fast-growing businesses that focus on customer experience and market research as well. So I run the marketing team that spans those three pillars and 
my role certainly includes demand gen, but also product marketing, brand, comms and social, and of course, growth being something that underpins everything that we do. And so it's a really broad marketing role, and I feel really privileged to have that opportunity. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Let's start off with what is your demand gen strategy? Well, gosh, it's a big question, Ian. I mean, when I think about what you need to get right in order to do demand gen well, the first thing that comes to mind is knowing your prospect really well and understanding how you can add value to them. And I say that because we live in such a noisy world and I can't think of a time I haven't been working in a really competitive space and your prospects are being pinged left, right, with messages and you know offers and opportunities with you know from all of your competitors so the question is you know to have the right strategy i think you have to you have to understand the what what can you uniquely bring in terms of value to that prospect conversation so that's kind of point 1 the second would be as part of that something that has been a mainstay of my demand gen strategy across companies is identifying the customers that you have who will influence your next customers and then finding ways to put them in the spotlight because nothing will convince the next set of customers like your current customers and the success that they are seeing with your solutions. Totally. I love that. And unless your current customers aren't the right industry and then they're like, but what about oil and gas? But what about, you know, uh, which we've all, all dealt with those questions a thousand times. And there's I have a couple, a couple of other thoughts actually, Ian, in terms of, you know, what you need to get right strategically. I mean, the third the third thing I would say is, making sure that you are joined at the hip with your sales partners and fully aligned and accountable on responsibilities and what you're striving for. So that's that that would be point three. And then the third is to experiment, optimize and measure. And you think about, I think about demand gen as a portfolio of approaches or tactics, and they're often at different stages of maturation. And for the most mature ones, you are scaling and optimizing those. But in the interests of being interesting and having value to add to your customer and reaching them in different ways, you have to be experimenting with different channels, different approaches at all times. And so I feel like you're constantly doubling down on things that are working while trying to find the next set of channels or tactics that are going to take you to the next level. So looking at SurveyMonkey, can you kind of share a little bit more about who your personas are, who you're selling to, what are the different groups? You know, I, I, I feel like we see all the time, you know, when big time CEOs share the type of employees that they're looking for, the type of uh, leaders they're looking for is people that are curious. And uh, you all have a product indeed for the curious. So it seems like it could be for, for everybody in business, but who are the folks that you're selling to? Yeah, definitely. And as you know, it's sort of a blessing and a curse to be a, a horizontal platform that literally anyone in your building could use to get feedback that they can act on. But I think today, so I, first of all, I'd start with, you know, what types of organization are using SurveyMonkey? And that really is a very broad set. I think people are constantly surprised to hear that we work with 98% of the Fortune 500, for example, and that we're signing six-figure deals on a regular basis. Because it turns out that you know, turning feedback into action is something large organizations are really trying to operationalize, especially in this era. But 
when you start to think about who within the organization, the typical personas or functions that we have the most dialogue with would be HR is a big one. IT, often IT is looking to find the right agile tools and technologies that they can bring in to support the workforce. And SurveyMonkey scores very favorably when it comes to agility, when it comes to being super easy to roll out and without needing an expensive army of consultants to make it happen in terms of being easy to use and so forth. So we, we often uh, have good relationships with the IT areas of organizations. And then, of course, the big one is marketers. And you know, one of the things that led me to SurveyMonkey in the first place was just I'd lost count over the years of the use cases that I had turned to SurveyMonkey for, whether it was you know, getting the next level of detail in lead gen to gathering testimonials to running content marketing-related research, pricing and packaging, testing campaigns and logos, event feedback. I mean, you name it. There are so many different ways in which we can really uh, turbocharge marketing efforts. So marketing is actually an area where we do spend a lot of time, where we have a lot of dialogue. It's also why we have so many integrations with tools into the MarTech stack from, you know, the marketing automation platforms to Sendoso and much more. So I'd say HR, marketing, IT are the key ones. As we've continued pushing into customer experience management, that's bringing us into contact with the customer experience organization within a company. And that's a kind of an up and coming area of the company. So sometimes marketing is involved in that too, but that's another one. And then the last thing I'll say on the market research side is marketing is a big consumer of our services for brand tracking and for concept testing and that sort of thing. Um, but also we see you know, specialized insights teams and uh, sometimes product and design teams that are working with us on that front. Yeah, it's so fascinating that the product works so well to get feedback from both internal and external, right? Like, I think it's the, just a massive trend in where we're heading with business, right? Is like customer experience and employee experience, right? It's like those two sides are the two most, you know, important parts of of uh, of your business. And you need to be able to, you know, to track both of those things. And you need to be able to measure it and you need to be able to capture that information. But, you know, at the same time for you as a marketer, you know, a product that a, uh, you know, that an IT person using and the product that a CX person is using, they might not think that, wait, this works for both of us? How does this work for both of us? Or how is this like an enterprise solution that fits both of us? We've done research in the past, Ian, on the tight ties between customer experience and employee experience and seen that if you can bring your employees closer to the experience of customers, they're actually likelier to stay at your organization because they understand the why of what they're doing. They see the value that they're delivering. So that's 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 one tie. But then also in the experience of using the software, right? To me, the grand irony is players in the space, you know, in, in let's say the customer experience space, where clearly you're trying to deliver exceptional experiences for customers, but on the back end, what it takes to roll out the software or who has access, uh, you know, there's so many blockers to a great experience behind the scenes uh, for the employee, the very employees who are charged with delivering great experiences themselves. So we aim to, we aim to make both the customer experience and the employee experience uh, really delightful. So in terms of your org structure, how as marketing relates to sales, um, how are you structured? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, but is it, uh, is it pretty typical or do you have some, some parts of it that are different than other organizations? I think it's fairly typical. So uh, I have a leader who is responsible for demand gen and marketing operations. So maybe that's a little bit of a twist. And uh, when you look to her set of leads, 
she has leaders for each of the product or, or pillar areas that I talked about. So a lead for surveys, demand gen, a lead for uh, customer experience, demand gen, and a lead for market research, demand gen. Just a quick plug, that that last role is open. So if you are listening and you are a demand gen leader who has experience in market research, we would love to talk to you. There you go. We'll uh, We'll link it up in the show notes there. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. And then within their teams, I suppose one thing that is relatively new over the last uh, 12 months or so is thinking about the roles within demand gen. And this is this is partly because we market and sell to customers ranging from SMB into large enterprise. And those are different motions, of course, the way you market to SMB, very different from the way that you really engage larger companies in conversation. And so we have different folks within the team that are now thinking about the at-scale programs that we run to, especially to drive demand in sort of SMB into mid-market. And we are hiring and have on, on board uh, more specialized marketers that focus on account-based marketing to strategize with the large enterprise end. You know, we hear a lot about like category creation and category design and all that sort of stuff. And where your product sits within, you know, this like a single category or a blue ocean or something like that. And to me, it feels like SurveyMonkey sits really deeply in a bunch of different pockets that like people need, right? So it's not like it's like one category necessarily. I, I'm I'm just curious, like how do you think about like the the position within the market or like how this market is shaped? Because it seems like it's just a fascinating, you know, I think you have a fascinating company and a fascinating kind of opportunity going forward. You're absolutely right in that it is sometimes hard to put SurveyMonkey in a single category because of the breadth of use cases and you know, you think about even over the course of the last 12 months, what do you do with a provider that not only delivers market research to help organizations uh, A-B test campaigns before they go to market on the, on the marketing and advertising side, but also is helping organizations track health symptoms and monitor the rollout of the COVID vaccine, for example. So we have this really broad-based set of solutions that do make it hard for us to really put all of our eggs in any one category. What I aim to do and what I'm uh, challenging the team to do is really focus in on the categories where we have, where we are a major provider of value. So, you know, experience management's a, a great one, you know, think about customer experience and think about how we can show up and really play to our strengths. We are the most agile player in the space. What you get when you turn to solutions that we offer is the ability to roll out software in days and not months. The ability to be up and running quickly, and again, if we need, if we've learned anything about the last uh, in the last twelve months, it's the importance of being agile. Agile wins, and so I think that's the the key from my side is thinking about which categories we match up to. Customer experience being one, enterprise feedback being another, for example, and telling the stories and thinking about what makes us different and how what are the types of organization that we can help be most successful. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you can open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Most uncuttable. You know, so it's less about 
three channels and more about like the campaign or the idea that you then feed into multiple channels and tactics. And that for me, and this is this was true before I arrived at SurveyMonkey, just to be clear, was uh, is uh, research or data-backed thought leadership content that you can package and leverage across all of your channels. And that is especially important, I think, for a challenger brand. You have to have something interesting and valuable to say. And I'll give you a couple of examples, one of which was research-backed uh, and one of which was data-backed. So on the research-backed side, I think back to, to LinkedIn and Back in the day, I used to run a report that they still run, which is called Recruiting Trends. There's, it's, it's changed in, in its composition over the years. But the point was for us to be able to come to market and say, not only do we understand the recruiting space, but also we understand the key trends that leaders in recruiting are thinking about across geographies. And we built that history year over year so we could talk to how things were trending in different markets on a variety of different vectors. And that research was piped into almost everything we did from gated content to webinars to conference presentations to ads to, you know, you name it. It was just it was it was something that we used across the the board. And that was research driven. Right. So running basically surveys of these key audiences and, and bringing back the results. On the data side, I think to my days at Lever, which is a recruiting software startup, and what we did there was we looked at the data that we could see in our systems as we looked across a thousand or more clients that were using our software to hire. And that gave us something really interesting and valuable to share back out with the industry in terms of what good recruiting looked like. For example, how many candidates did it take at the top of the funnel who were job applicants who just saw your job posting and applied in order for you to make one hire? Contrast that with how many referrals you needed from employees at the company to make one hire. How many days was a typical process? How many stages was a difficult process? How did that look for engineers versus marketers? So we were able to package all of that up into some pretty interesting insights and bring those to market. And again, that lived in the form of gated content. It was a fodder for, for webinars and thought leadership pieces. We even, you know, we PR and press, we even produced... I'm waving a booklet in front of you at the moment that you can't see, but we produced hard copies of this and shared it out. And it was just, you know, that just, again, coming back to how do you add value to your prospect? What can you share with them that will be of insight to them? And having that be the central meat of your campaign and then figuring out how can you leverage that across as many viable channels as possible? Yeah, so, and when you're when you're looking at different channels and things like that, what's kind of like your process uh, there? You know, the process would be, so there are some channels where you typically have deeper history than others. In my case, you know, I'll take I'll take webinars as an example of programs that have run across all of our companies and have a sense of what good would look like in terms of registration and engagement and pipeline that you would expect to build from a great webinar, et cetera, et cetera. Also, where do you promote that webinar in order to to get return? You see different costs per lead across different channels. And so it's really a question of again thinking about the content that you have, where your audience is spending time, how you can reach them, and then making sure that you package that content in the format that is going to be successful in that channel. For instance, if we're, you know, if we're thinking about you know, a product launch or a, a campaign idea, and you think about the video component of that, making sure that you not only think video, but you also think about what that six-second bumper is going to look like compared to that 30-second video. Yeah, so how does that change for the, for the different personas yeah, because it seems like the, they, they could be so different for the types of, of channels that they might be using. 
I think what, where we see the most differentiation, I talked earlier about the types of the types of persona that we we interact with. IT is one that I don't think is hanging out in the same places that, for example, marketing and HR are. So we we tend to use we we're using a full kind of full set of digital channels uh, quite heavily, and you know for IT, I think we sometimes have to go the extra mile in thinking about who do we partner with, how do we get to those folks, what sorts of different vehicle are we going to set up to reach those people? We've actually had a lot of success recently in running special roundtables for CIOs, for instance, to bring them together to talk to their peers. And sometimes that's embedding some of this content in the dialogue so that we're bringing some thought leadership and some perspective to the table. But back to thinking through your prospect or your your persona, how can you add value to them in a way that makes it not only, you know, makes it worth their while basically to engage with you and to go deeper. I think especially within IT, you know, we talk a lot about IT on the show. I host another show with CIOs. It's such an interesting place right now because they are often, you know, this uh, this like point guard of technology solutions, but often they want the line of business unit owner to figure out, you know, to do some of the diligence on their end, and sometimes they like they might have a preferred you know solution or a vendor or different things like that, and then sometimes they might use the tool themselves, so that's a little different. So you know, it's like for that IT leader, they might be thinking about you know your product for six minutes a year, right? And so for them to be able to to understand you know all of uh, features and benefits just might, might not be realistic. Yeah, it's just not the right audience for that conversation, in our case at least. Yeah. But they do need to have confidence that we're we're a great partner for them. Yeah, that's a great point. Which is kind of more of a, a brand kind of idea. What do you how do you think about brand as it relates to the plays that you're running? Uh, are you running, you know, are you running campaigns for brand? We so last year was kind of a weird year on so many levels. We could talk for another half hour on that one. So I would say some of the plans that we had in motion or had in mind went out the window just with everything that happened. And we had to pivot just like every other marketing organization out there and focus on the here and now. As we get into 2021, I'm really fired up for us to take the reins back in terms of really being quite deliberate about some of the campaigns that we put out there. So yes, there are, we have our planning for the year and uh, excited to, to do more on the branding side, really to help with the ongoing perception shift around who's, who uses SurveyMonkey, why, the sorts of mission-critical use case that we're being pulled into these days, and how we're delivering value for our customers. So much more to come on that. It's a good teaser. We'll have to bring you back soon. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a item, a budget item, or, or a channel that is something that you think isn't working that well or might be fading away? One thought here and it's too early to know, is I'm really curious about the fate of large-scale events as we know them. And I say that, I know events will come back in some shape or form. I would expect that sometime in the back half of the year. And I mean physical events. Of course, virtual and digital events have really taken off. But I do wonder if large-scale events will come back in the same way. Because what has happened over the last year is we've all, as we've hit pause, at least I've been thinking about the frequency with which I travel and whether that is always necessary. And I love building community. That's a, you know, going back to the notion of putting customers at the core of your marketing. 
building community is really important. And I do see events as a key aspect of that. So I think events will continue to have their place and will continue to be really important for brand building and for building up awareness and loyalty and having folks champion your your offerings. But I don't know that I'm going to be rushing to as many truly large-scale events as I probably did before the pandemic. Do you mean personally or do you mean as an investment strategy? Well, I mean, the, both, the two go hand in hand. Yeah, true. <laughs> that's a good point. So it's it's sort of like, I probably personally will be more selective in the events I go to. But that means that the vendors who are trying to reach me, including SurveyMonkey, you know, in terms of a persona, probably will ha- see a different return on their investment if the same folks aren't always going to be showing up. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, which is funny because I think about events all the time, but I hadn't thought of it that way that how were events changed if the people, if the old people were, aren't showing up, right? Yeah. I mean, think about how easy it is to speak at a conference when it's virtual Yeah, and then think about the time that an executive takes out of their day or their week to go to a conference on the other side of the country or the world and on the one hand, I do think we're going to see an exuberance coming out of this where people are just, they're, they are all out for experiences. They want to travel. They want to, you know, they want, they want a change of scenery. I get that. But the question is, in the long run, whether people were really getting value from those experiences and whether there's a different way that we're going to have to solve for interaction with senior execs, for example. Yeah, it, it, is, it is pretty fascinating to think about how... Um how the speakers completely change and access to those folks. I mean, I just don't know if, I don't know if the value is there, you know, to go see whoever Mark Cuban speak at an event. It's like, if that's the headlining person, for example, it's like you can hear Mark speak probably every single week on some sort of digital property now. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm optimistic for how marketers will will recreate the uh, the in person event strategy, but uh, it is super important. Okay, do you have any uh, any best campaigns or, or biggest learning experiences that you've had over the past couple of years? Couple of thoughts over the last couple of years. So, la- I mean, last year again was just threw us all for a loop. I was so impressed by and proud of the team for coming together and running what amounted to a couple of large-scale pushes around different capabilities that we were suddenly uh, being looked to by our customers to you know, um, really important use cases to help solve. So one one set of those obviously relates to the pandemic. And there was like this push from March all the way through even continuing today as we evolved a set of solutions to uh, really speak to current market needs, beginning with templates to help organizations keep in touch with workers who had suddenly been sent home to work from home overnight and all the way through helping organizations think about how they're going to come back to work, how they monitor symptoms of uh, employees on site, how they think about just really returning to some form of in-person working. Now, I think that the way the team responded to that, creating solutions in partnership with product and our customer success team, launching those, spinning up the web pages, thinking about the roundtables and the events that we could that we could pull together to help our prospects understand those capabilities that's one thing the other piece is around of course another major thrust from 2020 the conversation around racial equity and uh, just all of the conversation that we find ourselves in as a society again we 
leapt into action, thinking through how we could help be part of the solution as companies started to think about the difficult conversations they needed to have with their employees. We partnered with a group called the Justice Collective to launch a really robust set of survey templates that organizations, again, could deploy internally to understand whether they were creating the conditions for an inclusive workforce, how their employees were feeling about the conversation that was raging externally. So all of that happened. We then also, uh, with uh, under the leadership of our CEO, Xander, launched it, threw down the gauntlet, basically, to other companies and launched a vendor diversity template with uh, over 20 companies, including Intuit and Slack and Zoom and the Golden State Warriors, the point of which was to think about the collective buying power that we have as organizations and to make sure that we hold our suppliers accountable for thinking about diversity, inclusion, and building the types of company that we, we are proud to work with. That effort launched in the back half of the year. We're continuing to uh, survey our vendors and make sure that we understand the efforts that they're making. And as Xander, our CEO, has said quite explicitly, it's an opportunity for us to put our money where our mouth is. And if we find we're working with vendors that are not committed to diversity and equity in the same way that we are, that we can we can take our money elsewhere. So we had probably our boldest conversation of the year around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and had many subsequent conversations with other companies who, like us, are trying to wrestle with how can we put our best foot forward? How can we create the right conditions for our employees? What are the practical steps that we can take to walk the talk? Are there any channels or things that you're excited about investing in 2021? We haven't done a lot in the podcast arena, and I'm saying that conscious that we're here we are yapping away hey now (laughs) i know a guy you know a guy yeah let's talk after this so i you know i think podcasts have been on the rise for a long time we've we've experimented on and off we haven't made that a huge part of our strategy to date but i think we're going to be investing more there because i think this is just a great vehicle for conversation and i do think you have a captive audience that is tuning in to get value and so the, the, the key is just how do you think about even adding value in the context of a podcast ad? Yeah, I mean, one, I think, and I think it's just got to go beyond that, right? And, and I think that the, the state of the market, and obviously, like, I could go on for literally hours on this, but I think the state of the market is like, you have all of the CPG brands and like major players that are paying a huge premium to access very large audiences. And if you're a B2B company that's focusing on, a small population and you put a bunch of money and effort into creating content and to create really helpful stuff that improves, you know, people's lives and careers. You just can't compete with Budweiser. You know, you can't compete with with Audi and um and it's not a really a good strategy to necessarily. Not to say that like, you know, advertising on a big podcast, but you have to have a very certain type of motion and way to capture that value or or plan to do that um in the same way that you would for a Super Bowl ad or something like that, but But yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, I just think that, you know, podcasts, and it's not just about podcasts, but any type of like that niche content that is, you know, focused on certain populations of people and podcasts is just easy because it's, it's, you know, audio and it's an RSS feed and it's a pretty elegant solution. But I think that anything like that, um, you know, to create a show or to create anything, it just takes a lot of effort and work to think about how to do that the right way. And I think that, I think people are probably, you know, 
cautious about it in the right way, right? You wouldn't just like start a TV show, you know, or or whatever. So, or you wouldn't just like, you know, blindly throw a bunch of money into, you know, to sponsor the most popular podcast in the world when at the end of the day, you're still never going to get metrics of who the heck is is listening to that to that show, right? If you if you sponsor New York Times Daily, like you have literally no idea who's listening because they don't know who's listening. So, I think it's a I think it's a prudent approach to be you know, cautious for for B two B to think about like how they invest in that type of content. How do you view your website? Well, first I should point out we have websites plural. So, uh, surveymonkey.com is kind of the main one. Getfeedback.com is the other one that should be on people's radars. So we have we have two, and you know these are the front door to our business. And without giving away too much, I would say we have a lot of opportunity on our website. So you can probably expect to see some changes as we go through the year. But uh, you know, this is where people will come to first learn about your business. So you have to be thinking about that pretty carefully. I'm always curious how how difficult it is to manage multiple web properties, you know, in B two B, and the challenge that. Do you do you like? Is it one team that that just does both, or do you have like separate teams working on different pieces there? Yeah, there are slightly different teams that are focused on these different areas. So there's a, a team that focuses on our CX business and. CX website, getfeedback.com is their responsibility, just as our surveys group has a, a team there. We also do, Ian, if you think about our businesses, there is interplay between them. Uh, sometimes the same, the same customer might be interested in solutions across them, but also there's a sense of uh, graduation almost because customer feedback is actually where a lot of people start using SurveyMonkey. And then when they're ready, when they reach a certain level of maturity, they might want to check out Get Feedback. So we have to think about the interplay between the sites. And so when you step back and look at the organization, for example, of the SurveyMonkey marketing team, we have marketers that, are, that focus on these different business areas, surveys, uh, customer experience, and then market research. But then we also have certain marketers that think across the pillars about how are we marketing across businesses. And our growth team in particular, growth being the, a partnership between product, marketing, and engineering our growth team really thinks about surveymonkey.com and how we both make that the best performing site possible, but also how we think about our ecosystem and when is the right time to route somebody who's coming in the front door at SurveyMonkey over to get feedback to explore that set of solutions. And shout out to our good buddy, Craig, uh, who founded Get Feedback and Qualified.com sponsors this show. So it's a virtuous circle. Awesome. I, did, I didn't know you knew Craig. He's a... Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, obviously they sponsor this show. EricQualified.com does, but um, yeah, Craig's Craig's the best. Shout out to Craig, and uh, yeah, and I'm an advisor to Qualified, so it's all all virtuous circle. It's such a small world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So let's get into our next segment: the dust up. Uh oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether it's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. I know, Leela, that you are not a big dust up person. I, I am such a pacifist. <laughs> So I know you don't have any any huge dust ups in your background, but maybe there's there's something small, or maybe a uh, I don't know, maybe a dust up that you wish had never happened. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about dust up. I mean, what I would say is, you know, I, when I say I'm a pacifist, because really I, I I'm a little conflict avoidant, if I'm honest. That said, 
wherever you're working, what you're looking to put in place as a foundation is mutual trust and respect. And if you come at the world from a foundation of mutual trust and respect, then you should be able to respectfully disagree. And I, I do that on a regular basis with, with a number of my key partners and stakeholders. But I don't see that as a dust-up at all. To your point, it's healthy tension, and you're in the conversation because of the ideas that you bring to the table. And if you have different ideas, you should feel comfortable and confident voicing them. So maybe that's why I, when you say dust-up, I'm like, oh, I don't have any of those. But hopefully I am having productive conversations where there is some healthy debate going on because that's a key to making progress. Well, I'll say I, I don't have um, I don't have a, a dust up here for this, but I am so curious. I've brought it up a few times on the show and I'm just like endlessly curious in this new world of CX and specifically around like net promoter score. You and I have talked about NPS in the past. It feels like so many companies still don't really have a handle on their NPS. They still don't really have a handle on their CX. Do you think marketers should be like leading the charge here? How, how can they do that? Uh, what do you think? I do think marketers have to be heavily involved because we should be close to our customers and the experience they're having and the value they are getting. And the truth is, and we, we saw this in research that we ran back in the fall, a large percentage of, of companies have added customer touch points this year. So many companies have been forced into digital transformation, whether they were ready or not. And so again, this, this sort of proliferation of touch points and customers experiencing your brand and your offerings in a different way, marketers have to be close to that. And so I do definitely encourage marketers, if they don't own it, to be working closely with their chief customer officer or whoever does own it to feed in insights, but also to extract insights that you can use to improve your marketing. We actually just hired a chief customer officer, Ken Ewell, who started a month or two ago. And I already find that my one-on-ones with him are among the most important one-on-ones that I have because we're both learning from one another and thinking about how we partner to understand the customer journey, but then also to, to circle back around and tell the customer story. I love that. That's a great insight. I mean, that really is. And there's a lot of companies that don't have that. And it's funny, you know, we we um, we have a couple of customer experience shows that we do. So um, I think about it a lot. And I, that it's it just has to be, you know, you have to pin the rose on somebody and they have to oversee it, right? And work with marketing. I, that's a great way of doing it. I didn't know you had one-on-ones every week. That's a great idea. It's so important. It's so important. And then on NPS, I see a lot of companies that are, measuring it. But the question is, what do you do with that? And do you understand the why? That's the big gap that I see sometimes is the failure to to really understand the root causes of an NPS score and then put an action plan in place and charge after it. Because the point of this is not, it's not a vanity metric, right? It's not, we shouldn't be navel gazing here. We should be acting on what we learn. Well, that's exactly right. Like it's actually, it's not a forward looking metric, right? That's the crazy thing. It's a rear view mirror metric. And like you said, it's supposed to spur action. Like that's the point of the NPS is to figure out where you are so that you can, you know, chart a path forward. Any best practices there for how, you, how you've seen that done? I think the one thing that comes to mind is not trying to do everything at once. <laughs> so when you start down the NPS path, you can uncover a Pandora's box of opportunity, let's just say. And I think even back to at LinkedIn, I was jointly responsible for NPS measurement 
and report out for Talent Solutions for a while. And it was really important for me to go into that, let's call it twice a year meeting with the executive team and not only share out the data on how our NPS had shifted, but also come in and say, and here are the three areas that we are focusing on shifting uh, that score in the next period. And in order to, to have that story, I had to partner with product and with partners in success and so forth to be aligned on what we were going to do to tackle the areas. But it wasn't the laundry list of all the things we could do. It was a really sharp focus on, okay, which levers are we going to prioritize in pursuit of you know, earning, earning higher scores and loyalty from our customers? Well, obviously, you know, for our listeners, check out surveymonkey.com. They have a ton of stuff on the site about NPS. And uh, I highly, highly recommend you, you, uh, you jump in because I think that there's just um, a lot of meat on the bone there that I think people are, especially marketers, can learn from. Okay, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions, quick answers. Just like conversational marketing with qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with Qualified.com. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Leela, are you ready? Sure. Hit me. Number one, if you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, goodness. I would be probably homeschooling my kids. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what is one thing that you're going to do for fun in 2021? Go back to Scotland. Oh yeah, that sounds fun. Can can we join? My my, my wife and I have been <laughs> gearing up to go to Scotland for like five years now. <laughs> I haven't made the trip. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, my folks are still back there. My sister and her family, and we had this big trip planned last uh, summer to Paris and London, and then up to Scotland for a few days. So we're gonna we're gonna have a do over this summer, hopefully. For our listeners who have never been to Scotland, what's uh, what's the the one place to visit? What's a couple of the uh, off the beaten path, not touristy things. Mm, well, gosh, those are two answers. So, I mean, my hometown is Edinburgh. You have to go to Edinburgh and just walk around and just revel in it. Climb Arthur's seat and look out across the horizon. If you have the time, hire a car and drive up to Sky and have dinner at Three Chimneys. It's one of the best dinners I've had in my life. I love it. That's great. We didn't make it to Sky when I went and then we were close. Not quite. Any advice that you'd give to a first-time CMO about demand gen strategy? For demand gen specifically, spend as much time as you can with sales. You have to be joined at the hip with sales. You will rise and you will fall together. What is one thing if you could do if you could do uh, one hobby or a habit that you're going to pick up next year? Your quote unquote New Year's resolution, if you have such a thing, what is it? My husband and I just decided that we're going to train for a marathon, even if we don't actually have a marathon that we're specifically training for. So this is week one of my training. No kidding. There you go. Yeah. That's pretty good. Training for a marathon, that is no joke. Why not? What's to stop me, Ian? There's nothing stopping you. I fully believe. We'll, we'll check in. We'll, uh, <laughs> Hold me to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is great. Obviously, everybody, like I said, check out SurveyMonkey. Um, Leela, as always, you're awesome. Uh, appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Anything to uh, plug or anything uh, that you got coming up? <laughs> oh, you're kind, Ian. Thank you for the time. I would say for organizations that are still trying to get their head around the future of work, and if you're listening to this and you're a marketing leader, I, like me, you probably spent half of 2020 feeling like you were in HR <laughs> because there was so much to do on the people front 
And I do think that marketing has a key voice in the decision around what should the future workplace look like. So we've launched a whole set of uh, resources, tools and templates and services to help you navigate the changing world of work. And um, if you look for future of work resources, so if you just Google SurveyMonkey future of work resources, you should see the link there. So uh, I would advise you to check that out. Awesome. Thanks again. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Ian. Take care. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.